Uh, Father, you are our shield. Uh, you are our glory and the lifter of our heads. And so we come before you this morning begging, crying for your spirit to fall on this place, uh, to penetrate our hearts and our minds. Would you give us clarity of thought this morning? Uh, keep distractions out of our minds as we hear the word preached. Open our ears and our hearts to what you want us to hear. Uh, Father, we just beg, uh, beg for you to do this for us. It's such a pleasure uh, to, to gather with your saints this morning in this, in this gathering. We know, Father, that that's not happening all over the world, Father, in some places where there's persecution and suffering because people are unashamed of you. So we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world this morning that are suffering right now, being persecuted, um, being held from their families because they choose uh, to worship you. Would you uh, give an extra uh, amount of favor to them this morning, Father? May people be drawn to Jesus uh, because they are unafraid to suffer for you. We pray for the nations, Father, uh, that your word would go forth this morning uh, to reach places that have not heard the name of Jesus, uh, that you would send preachers and missionaries all over this globe to talk about you, to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim the freedom that there is in Jesus Christ. So we pray for a special power this morning that that would happen, Lord, in dark places, places that have never heard your name before. Would you do that this morning? Would you do it in this city, in Spartanburg, Father? We're not so naive to think that there is no darkness here, Father. We pray for the penetration of darkness in this city. Uh, may it begin with Hope Point, Father. Would you keep us faithful to the word, never straying, Father? Preach the word in season and out of season. When it's popular and when it's unpopular, Father, may we stick close to your words. Uh, do that this morning. Thank you for Ronnie and his uh, commitment to do this for us this morning. Would you give him special favor this morning? Let him step aside. Let the, the word come powerfully from his voice to our hearts and our ears. And may you change us this morning because we heard your word preached. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Good morning, church. Yeah. I, I, you know, that, that comment about the building, I can't wait for the building for, for one reason, and it's because the stage is much bigger, and I'm not restrained to just this little spot right here with the light. I get to walk around and talk in the, in the new building. So I, I, I'm excited about that. I'm, many other things that I'm excited about in the new building, but today's not about the building. Our main focus today is going to come from Acts chapter 17. And let me just say that today's message is nothing more than me attempting to repeat what God has been showing me, what God has been teaching me through scripture and through the reading of books and many other resources as I began my study in prayer and fasting. And over the last couple months, God has been pruning, God has been stretching me while encouraging me during this study. But the question that he keeps reminding me of is, do you rely on prayer for your every breath? 
Now, that's an interesting question, so let me explain where that comes from. What you see here is a picture. And this picture I took on the rooftop of a church while being in the Middle East. And as you looked in one direction from the rooftop, you, you, you can see the lights at night from a nearby refugee camp. And, and in the morning, if you had a clear morning and you look to the opposite side, you, you can actually see the Syrian border that was just a few miles away. But it was, it was on this rooftop with a couple other guys from here that I heard one of the most incredible sounds that my ears have ever heard. It was on this rooftop that I heard voices of people praying and praising Jehovah God Almighty like I've never heard before. And, and the prayers were just deep. The prayers were, I'm talking about deep as in, deep in their soul. And they were longing and they, there was this prayer of dependency, this prayer of, of emptying everything out. And, and I just needed to find out where these prayers were coming from and who was praying. So, so we, we found a way to get into the room where the prayer was going on. And we got a chance to meet these three guys here who were three guys that were part of, of, of ten Egyptian brothers and sisters that were staying there at the, at the church for three weeks while serving in that community. And they spoke great English, so it was, it was easy to communicate and understand. But during this time that we were there, we saw them praying in the morning. We saw them praying in the day, during the day. We saw them praying at night. Everything about them was about prayer. So I just had to ask one night, what has brought about this deep passion for prayer? So we quickly learned that everyone on that team of 10 had either a family member or a very close and dear person to them killed because of their faith in Christ. And one of them responded to my question with such humility and such love. And, and he said, we rely on prayer for our every breath. And I was stunned. I was stunned. I was speechless. Because everything about these brothers and sisters gave evidence of life out of an overflow of prayer. And it was so encouraging. And I wanted it so bad. Oswald Chambers once said, Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian. Not the thing that makes him live, but the evidence that he is alive. And as we kept the conversation going, the conversation quickly went south, and it got really awkward. I mean, it went south quick. Because this dear brother turns to me and looks at me after sharing, and he says, What about you, dear brother? How's your prayer life? How can I pray for you? And I just didn't have a good answer. 
It, it was awkward. I, I didn't have a good answer, so I got all holy and biblical with my answer. And I said, I want the holiness of God to penetrate and be magnified. And, and the look on this dude's face was as like I was talking in Spanish to this Egyptian dude. I mean, he was so confused by what I was saying. I just, it was awkward because my prayer life is weak. And there's a lot of truth to the studies that show that one of the easiest ways to make a conversation awkward in this church is to ask someone how their prayer life is going. Try it. Not today because you're thinking about it now. But try it another day. I mean, we, it happens. It just gets awkward. And there's a lot of truth for all of us in that because we, we all struggle in prayers at times, and, and that's okay. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. We have this fantastic opportunity to talk to the artist of every sunrise. We have the, the opportunity to, to talk to our Heavenly Father who has adopted us into his family. We have the fantastic opportunity to talk to the judge of all mankind who has dismissed our case because our infinite fine has been paid through the blood of his son. We have that opportunity, but yet we struggle to pray. Why? Now, we, we could answer that question from uh, a lot of angles, but this morning, I just want us to consider the warning Paul gives us as he speaks to the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17. And let me give you a little background. Acts chapter 17 begins with Paul being Paul, and he's proclaiming the gospel in Thessalonica. And often, as often the case, Gospel haters begin a riot, and they run Paul out of this place, and so Paul ends up in Berea. And Paul wastes no time. As soon as he arrives to Berea, he begins to proclaim the gospel. But when the gospel haters of Thessalonica find out about it, they go to Berea, and what do they do? They run Paul, stir up the crowd, and run Paul out of Berea. So Paul ends up in Athens as he waits for Silas and Timothy and here's where we pick up today. So in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now let me stop there and explain why this is so important. Can't miss this. Athens was filled with example of artistic beauty. Especially the statues of the Greek gods and the architectural magnificence of its temples. It was just a beautiful place. And when we read the words of, when we read Paul saying that he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols, it's because the city was literally drowning in idols. Some people estimate, some scholars estimate that there were approximately up to 30,000 idols in a city with a population of just 10,000. In fact, as a matter of fact, people used to proverbially remark that it was much easier to find an idol than a man there. So in verses 17 to 22, Paul begins to proclaim the gospel and a debate breaks out and Paul gets brought into a meeting with philosophers in the Council of Athens and he boldly stands up and says this. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And here's the text where we're going to sit in today. We're going to just, this is our main text. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Now that's a warning. That's the warning I want us to take a look at today. Because if we're too quick to read over this, our normal response would be, preach it, Paul. Preach it. It's a good word. Man, that's good, Paul. But here's what's interesting about Paul's message to the people of Athens. If, if we think that we have nothing in common with the people of Athens... We have to realize that Paul is pointing out the same barrier that explains our abundant lack of prayer in our lives. And these barriers just don't happen. These barriers that we're going to talk about, they, 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 they just don't pop up. These barriers come as we prone to drift into our sinful nature. And we slowly become ignorant regarding our posture towards God. Now, I believe one main barrier here serves as the foundation to the other barriers, but they all explain our prayerlessness. And let's start with the first foundational barrier. I believe the first barrier to our prayerlessness is our desire for self-sufficiency. Our desire for self-sufficiency. See, many of us have been trained from a young age that we need to do whatever it takes to become self-sufficient. And as a matter of fact, our lives are marked by our ability to attain various levels of independence. And in many ways, this desire can be God-honoring. But when this desire is fed and it's not kept in check, it can actually work against the very things we long to experience in God. And the Bible does teach as the importance of responsibility. So that is good. But more importantly, it teaches us that God has created us to be fully dependent upon him. And one of the primary reasons we lack in prayer is because we have reversed our roles with God. What do I mean? Instead of our posture before God being, you are God and you are big, owning everything and needing nothing. And I am small. I'm completely bankrupt, having nothing and needing everything. We have reversed that as if God needs us. And we must work, work, work in order to bring about all the answers that God is not capable of supplying. See, the danger of this reverse posture is that we live with a serving God mentality that actually belittles God. 
So Paul is warning us by saying God is not served by human hands. God is not served by human mouths. God is not served by arms or legs or human brains as though he needed anything from us. We, we need to read that over and over and over, especially as we begin to move into our new building. Because that sentence, that verse right there, is mind-blowing for church ministry and mission strategy. And can I just be honest with you? I am so guilty of this. I am guilty of self-sufficiency. I'm, I'm amazed my prayer partner hasn't quit on me. Because every week, I feel like I'm always confessing self-sufficiency. Or every week, he's pointing out, in order to encourage me, and in order to challenge me, self-sufficiency in my actions or in my words. And you and I are prone to drift in a posture that believes that through our new building, we will serve God in big ways. And in, in, in our new building, we will do all this for God. In our new building, we're going to do all that for God. In this new building, we will honor and serve God in having all the answers on how we will reach the community. And we, we have a tendency to gloss over these texts, these verses, so fast on our way to serving God in holding babies, in teaching Hope Point kids, in doing broadcast student ministry, in doing inner city ministry, in going on a mission trip, and in everything else we do to serve God. And if we're not careful, we ourselves will become ignorant to the very one we're trying to worship. God, the giver of all things. In the very act of trying to honor God, we belittle God by serving him as if he needs anything from us. Now, let me just say that this is not an anti-building message. What I want us to look at this warning, because this is a let's keep our perspective right type of message. That's my aim today. And Paul addresses the building in Acts 17.24 with the ultimate expression of it's not about the building. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. But I also love how he follows it up by saying it's not about the building. It's about the builder of all things, the breath giver of all life. Recently, some of our staff had the opportunity and the honor to eat lunch with the workers that have been involved in transforming our new building. And, and they met with them to thank them. They met with them to remind them of the gospel hope that will be proclaimed in this very building that they radically transformed. 
And think about every man and every woman who worked on the building on our new property and every wrench that was turned and every wall that was painted and every light and speaker that was hung. What wonderful skills these people have. And what a beautiful structure they have provided for us. But just picture with me for a moment as they're working so hard. It, it is God every second breathing into their lungs. And without his breath, even the strongest person in that building would not be able to lift a finger. Oh, church, how we need, how we need to lean on the everlasting arms of the breath giver. The second barrier to our prayerlessness is our hunger for worldly pleasures and self-gratification. Paul begins his message in Acts 17.22 by saying, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, I don't believe that's a compliment, okay? Because just a line later, he says, you're ignorant. So I think what Paul was trying to do is point out something else that had a grip on their hearts, something else that was of greater value to them. And they walked around acting religious. They spoke religious lingo, but ignorant to what they were trying to worship. And the danger is that it can be the same with us, believer. See, if we cultivate the taste buds of our hearts for the riches and pleasures of this world, then we will struggle to find value in the important things of God, especially prayer. And our culture has increasingly, it's increasingly infatuated with a bent towards self-gratification. I mean, by all accounts, we in America have more money, more mobility, more liberties than ever before, and yet the fruit of our excess is proving to be nothing but rotten at best. And in the midst of our so-called progress, as the news says it, our culture appears to be losing in virtually every important sphere of human flourishing. And we see in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he tells them not to be so concerned when the world acts like the world. In fact, that's to be expected. However, in the same letter, he goes on to say that we should be concerned when the church begins to act like the world. And it's quite obvious that the church in America has traded its hunger. We have traded our holiness for the pursuit of revelance only to discover that we now have been left with a version of church that is still unappealing to the culture, but more significantly is also unpleasing to God. And in avoiding Paul's warning, many self-professed Christians are living lives that look no different from the lives of their non-Christian friends, neighbors, and co-workers. What about us, church? What about us? In his book, Revival Starts Here, author David Clayton says this, we 
have attempted to turn prayer into a cosmic lasso that hopes, in hopes that we can wrangle the blessings of heaven for the sake of securing pleasures on earth. And in turn, we act like pouting little children when God doesn't leverage the resources of heaven to give us our fleshly desires. Prayer is the heart of worship. And everything needs to be an overflow of prayer. Because prayer is designed to loosen our heart's grip on the temporary things of this world. Prayer helps us recalibrate the palate of our souls for the heavenly feast of God. And until we acknowledge that until we acknowledge that for which our souls truly longs for and hungers, we will struggle to see the need for praying. Which leads me to the third barrier to our prayerlessness. We're prone to embrace our culture's humanistic bent. Now let me explain. What I mean by humanism, simply stated, humanism believes that human beings are questionably good and their every need is of utmost importance. So this ideology that has crept into many Christian circles, slowly eroding our understanding of humanity's place in the created order of God. And is this pervasive thought that leads many to believe that we are a gift to God as opposed to we are the receiver of his gift. Acts 17, 24 and 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. It's no gift to God. God gives all the gift to us. All the gifts are his because he's the giver and we are nothing but the receiver. And praise God for that. Because if we were the giver, we would absolutely destroy grace. And when we fail to recognize our tendency to embrace our culture's humanistic bent, we begin to see our need for God as something that's out of date and oppressive. Prayer, by its very nature, will often bring us into a deep awareness of our sinfulness and God's holiness. Now, Last time I was here with you, I never landed the plane. But we're going to land the plane today. And, and in order to avoid a riot after the service by half of you approaching me and saying, well, wait, wait a second, Ronnie, I thought we're supposed to be servants of God. I thought we're supposed to serve God. Paul opens his letters by calling himself a servant of God. Let me, let me just add and say that I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm aware of some of the scriptures that probably co are coming to your mind right now. When you hear me say, 
we're not, to, we're not supposed to serve God. And, and what I want us to take from today is that Acts chapter 17 is a warning on how to serve God in a way that honors God. There is a right way to serve God where you can glorify him and also honor his grace. And we need to be very zealous to find a way to serve God that honors God and a way to respond to infinite blessing in a way that honors grace. So how does that happen? It only happens through prayer. Because prayer is the point where we come before God and we express our emptiness, our need, our craving, our longing. Prayer is the point where it all comes together, where the human and the divine meet. With God being big and infinitely resourceful and us being little baby children, small and perfectly in need of him. Prayer is the point where God says, I'm enough. Ask, seek, knock, come, drink. I'm enough for you. I'm enough for you. Prayer is the point at which a bankrupt, empty, helpless human says, What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That's our answer, church. What should I render to the Lord for all his goodness to me? That should be the starting point of our serving God. And the answer is, oh God, I will hold up the cup of salvation for more and more and more grace and call upon you to fill it up again and again and again because you're the giver and I'm just the receiver. That's how we begin to serve God. Prayer is an empty cup of salvation lifted to the Lord. And like my two-year-old Sophia... She says to me when I, when I turn her round and round and round and she tells me, do it again and do it again and do it again. I don't know what it's about kids. They don't get dizzy. I get dizzy after the second time. But she says, do it again. That's what that verse is saying. We need to be like little children, so dependent of God. And we come before God and we do it again, God. Do it again. I need, I need you more. I need you more. I need you more. Let me close by saying something about the building. Because I don't want you to leave here thinking that I'm anti-building. <laughs> I, I am excited for God's grace in this new building. I am so excited why? Because it is God's building. And God will use it however he's going to glorify himself 
in it. And we can glorify God in this building, by this building, through this building, when the building is about prayer for all nations. It tells us in Mark 11, verse 17, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So when the church building is about prayer that exalts God as the glorious giver of all, and when that building is used for prayer in regards to evangelism among all races and global missions to all people, then, and it can be about the building. Because even Jesus himself loved the idea of the temple when and only when it was used as a place where God's people gather to pray for God's purposes. And let me just tell you, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, we're not going to wait till we get to a building. And I just want to tell you that you're not here by coincidence. You're here Because a loving God wants you to hear that he loves you today and that he's willing, willing to dismiss all judgment on you because this infinite fine has been paid by his son Jesus. He's a giving God. He's a holy God. He's a merciful God. He's a graceful God. And he's saying, come, knock, seek. Come to me. So if you have never put your faith in Christ, I'm begging God today that he would draw you to your knees. And that you may experience the giver, the breath giver of life. How do we serve God? Let him who serves serve with the strength of God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's how we will serve God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you, Father, and we repent. We come to you confessing that we seek to be self-sufficient. and We don't even realize it, Father. We, we come to you and, and, and confess, Father, that we're seeking self-gratification, and the pleasures of this world, and we don't even realize it, Father. We come to you, Father, and, and, and we confess, and we're saying we look just like our non-Christians, friends and neighbors and co-workers. There are times where it's easier to just blend in. So forgive us, Father, for being weak. We lay this at the altar and we embrace the feet of mercy because you showed us today 
that our infinite fine has been paid through the blood of Christ. So as the receiver and you as the giver, oh God, may we receive your grace and may this grace not only encourage us and strengthen us, but may we find power to live boldly for you, Father. There's someone here that maybe doesn't know you, Lord, and this same grace is for them. Help them to see, Father, that you have a perfect plan and they chose to walk away. They have chosen to leave your perfect plan. They've rebelled from your goodness. And every time we do that, we end in brokenness, Father. We end in a world of brokenness. And the more we try to fix it on ourselves, Father, the more broken we end up. Would you allow someone today, open their eyes, open their hearts, and may they see that they can't fix themselves, but the blood of Christ can. So draw them to your knees. For the believer that needs encouragement today, Maybe a bad decision this week. Maybe they're going through a hard time, whatever it may be, Father. May they find great comfort in the breath giver of all things today. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.